Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode. I'm your host, Stephen G. Gaxiola, and you are listening to The Raider and the Saint. chance to walk out that door right now. <laughs> That's a good one, Todd. Good. That's what I wanted to hear. Because in this silver slice I have in here are 1,984 ounces of beer. Golden, delicious beer. And no one leaves here until we finish every single last drop. No, it sounds good. So I'm like, oh, let's pop. Have you done any podcasts since COVID? Yeah, so I actually ended up starting my own, my own uh, podcast as well. So I started uh, one. Uh, oh, speci- really? Yeah, specifically on like Santa Ana um, uh, policy and politics. Okay. Yeah, so it's called uh, Puro Policy Party. So we get a bunch of different people, like uh, both from the elected official side, um, people that formerly worked for cities or uh, local governments, and then also just uh, people that are experts in their particular uh, subfield. Wow. Yeah, so it's been pretty fun. How, uh, many, how many episodes have you done? So, so far, I think we have eight recorded. Uh, I think, I believe only six have been released. Uh, so we have two that are kind of uh, on the back burner that uh, we're basically waiting on um, getting the rights to songs for. So, uh, yeah. I'm going to put your phone over there. Oh, is that? Oh. Yeah, airplane mode would, would be preferably. Oh, yeah. I know you're that. a busy man. No, no, no. Like, uh, <sighs> right now, it's like, let's turn all that off. Well, let's get this podcast started, man. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for tuning in to another episode. This is episode 50. I am your host, Stephen Gaxiola. I am back. I am back at the studio. The date is October 12, 2020. The location, we are downtown, historic district of beautiful, sunny California, Santa Ana. We are 22 days out until the election. We got big things going on, and this guest that I'm going to introduce real soon is very knowledgeable in, in this area, and I always want him getting in, him in here and hear his ideas and, and what his beliefs are because I've had a lot of different types of ideas come through here and and, and give their, their points of what they see and what they hear, and someone who's out there hitting the pavement every day, he was on episode seven, and he's here again. But before I get to him, I want to thank my past guest real quick, Terry Diggs, my boy, Terry Diggs, my fellow friend, fellow Teamster, a fellow UPS driver. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on the show. I love you, man. I can't wait to get you back on. Want to give a shout out to this very beautiful couple who just celebrated their wedding, Chelsea and Tyson McKesey. 
congratulations on your wedding. It was the best wedding I have been to in a while. I had fun. My wife had fun. It was a great time all around. It was great to see everybody. Everybody looked beautiful. It was it was the most beautiful moment. And getting to celebrate it with you guys was awesome. Once again, congratulations to you guys. My guest today is a returning guest. He is an urban planner. He is a graduate from Cal Berkeley. He's many other things. I like to bring in Manny Escamilla. 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 Yeah, this is yeah, I, I'm the worst at pronouncing words. Welcome back to this, the podcast, my friend. Episode 50. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, man, especially for episode 50. Yeah, yeah, man. You, you've part of something great. You've got something going on in this podcast. I'm working hard getting to know people, getting to hear their sides of what they see, get to hear their stories. We heard your story before. We could talk a little bit about it for the new listeners that, that are listening today. But I wanted to get you in here because we got something big coming up in 22 days. I want to hear your side. Maybe give us a little bit of, of the propositions, if you can, or what you see, what's going on with America, especially since COVID. I mean, you were here before COVID hit. We got a lot of things to talk about, so tell the people what's up, man. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess the short summary of it is that um, you know Manny Escamilla, I, I basically have had about 14 years of experience in local government, uh, working for the city of Santa Ana and different departments. Um, I went from Parks and Rec to the library to the city manager's office, then to the planning department. So I've kind of seen like uh, things uh, from from various perspectives. I ended up quitting uh, last year actually uh, to run for city council in a special election in 2019. I uh, came within 150 votes of winning the election, so it was super close, mm -hmm. um, but we didn't quite get there. Uh, however, I kind of kept uh, continuing down uh, that path a little bit, uh, kind of getting involved with local politics here in Orange County. Um, currently a member elect for the Orange County uh, Democratic Central Committee of the 69th Assembly District. Mm -hmm. They're basically the folks that kind of do the policy platform for the county um, you know, uh, party. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, different party, different levels, state, federal, and the local stuff. So for me super passionate about how local cities and counties and kind of all these other like random uh are what are called special districts mm -hmm. control like the the environment around you so mm -hmm. it's like the people that control your water your electrical bills uh the way that sewers get done um you know police operations libraries parks all that sort of thing mostly happens at the the local government level and that's kind of what i really get into mm -hmm. so you know in this election i've basically um more than anything, been a policy advisor and kind of helping out with some campaigns. Um, so that's really um, what my role has been uh, more so in this particular election cycle, uh, doing that for a really great candidate in Santa Ana called uh, Jesse Lopez. So she's running for Ward 3, uh, which is basically the northern half of Santa Ana, and then some parts of the northeast is, yeah, the, on the northeast side. So. Northeast side. So we're talking about Lemon Heights out uh, there, maybe? No, so Lemon Heights is actually unincorporated Orange County. Oh, that's right. We talked about yeah. that last time. Yeah, so if you have five digits in your address, you're most likely not a part of the city of Santa Ana. Five. Mm -hmm. I, thought, I thought Santa Ana is five digits. 92704, that's... The, the zip code. But like, uh, if you like look at, so like uh, like for my address, like 1709... But there's never like a fifth digit, like. For oh, the, so it'll yeah. be like nine two seven zero four dash. Well, yeah. So if you if you ever have like five digits in like that initial like your initial address, it's typically unincorporated. Oh, you're talking about address. I thought you were talking about zip code. Oh, no, the, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the for the address. So I um, think it's like six up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's six. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's like this one random thing where they the post office used to be kind of labeled Santa Ana. So if you're in Lemon Heights, uh, North Tustin, uh, parts of 
let's see. I think there's some small parts of like the area around the airport, mm-hmm. you know, still Santa Ana, but mm-hmm. they'll have a different still ad- three. Yeah, they'll, they'll have the different address system over there. Um, but yeah, like the way that it's all divided up, that's pretty much like where the cemeteries are. That's probably like the the big geographic marker that mm-hmm. people kind of know about is okay, where Fairhaven and the Santa Ana Cemetery are at. It's Ward Three, and then kind of stretching all the way to the riverbed. So like that entire kind of swath over there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a yeah pretty interesting uh, area. Got a lot of great communities in, in it, and um, you know I've been helping her out with the campaign on some digital stuff, um, some of the campaign work, uh, and then we're just kind of knocking doors and uh, getting volunteers. So. Really? So you've been busy? Yeah, it's it's been pretty fun. Like this is. Um, I know there was something at the beginning of the year. You you ran for something. Mm-hmm. It was like, what was that? Yeah, so that was for the Democratic Central Committee. So that was. So that, now you're part of that, and that's what you're doing now. Um, so I am part of that, uh, but we don't start our um, positions until the following January. So it's this really weird thing. Yeah, that's how. Yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah. like because uh, what ended up happening is California used to have a very late primary, so like they would like vote all the way at the end. Yeah. So then it was like six months later. Then you would be um, on the Central Committee. In this case. Um, since we, the, Calif- the state of California moved the primary up, we still do the election for the committee seats during the primary rather than the general election. Do we have any elections for the city of Santa Ana oh, yes. coming up with, with what's going on in November? Yeah, so many. So, um, really? Yeah, so uh, this is the first time the city of Santa Ana is going to be voting by ward. So that just means kind of like by their particular district. Mm-hmm. So right now the city of Santa Ana is divided up into six different areas okay. and then a mayoral seat. So we have seven council members total. Um, right now it's the e- or the odd council seat. So council seat one, three, and five. Mm-hmm. And to make it even more confusing, those are a brand new one, a brand new three, and a brand new five that have no relationship mm-hmm. to the previous uh, seats one, three, and five. Mm. So like, so a lot of people are confused and kind of like things got moved around a lot. But uh, the basic story there is that you are now going to only be voting. Uh, for the person that represents your area mm-hmm. rather than voting everybody for okay. So the only exception to that is for the mayoral seat. So the mayoral seat is super interesting also because... Mayoral seat? Sorry, mayoral, uh, the mayor's seat. Okay, the mayor's seat. The mayor's okay. seat. So, no, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning as you're talking, man. Yeah, okay, mayoral seat. Ma- mayoral, mayoral, I think. Yeah, mayoral. mayoral. Okay, no. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So that mayor... Did we talk about him last episode too? Oh, we might have. Mayor, you mayor say he really doesn't do anything. No, I don't know if I said that. I don't know, like, <laughs> I like, I don't, I'm like, I'm did I say kidding. that? Like, I don't think I did. I no, said he was there. You said he's like, uh, he's just he's out there, right? But everybody behind the scenes is doing stuff, and he just pops his head out here and there and makes. I mean. He, like he we, has, we could say that for a lot of people around the country, of course. Right, but, but he, de- it, he definitely was... has a different style. So, like, his style is much more old, old school in the sense of uh, he's very much uh, wheeler and dealer behind the scenes, mm-hmm. making phone calls, kind of gets, like, mm-hmm. cuts deals, and then, like, you know, it, it's that sort of op- operative. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't done as much kind of being a public-facing mayor, right? Okay. So you have some people that are basically more, like, leaders. Like What's know, the mayor's name? Uh, it says Miguel Polito. Miguel Polito. Yeah. And like, how many terms has he served? Oh, man. Um since 1986 wow so he so he has to run every two years so yeah for the mayor's seat he has to run every two years this uh this year he was he ran for the county board of supervisors he lost that race and uh, what was important about that is that he was also termed out from his mayor's seat so the city council also had previously uh put together 
a set of rules, laws. Yeah, just yeah, basically term limits as to when you could come oh. in and out. So, so there was a little bit of confusion or like some open an open question as to whether or not the mayor was going to run for one of the council seats because the the way the rules were written, he technically could like stop being mayor mm-hmm. and then run for city council. Mm-hmm. And you can do you can kind of do the same thing where you can stop being and like termed out for a city council position and then run for mayor. So like there's like this ambiguity in the language there that um we weren't sure if he was going to run or not mm-hmm. uh he decided not to mm-hmm. and uh currently is i think just kind of getting ready to do his last you know basically getting ready ready for uh his political retirement wow yeah. how old is he now oh my uh i, I think it's like 68 i want to say he's like around the mid like how mid or higher 60s uh-huh. yeah so. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. We gotta get some fresh blood in there. Yeah, that that's some the fresh idea. Fresh thinkers, man. <laughs> that's the idea. Um, but I think I, I said six people are currently running for for city council. There's about four viable candidates, and each one of them have already kind of. Yeah, each one of those has uh, previously served on the council. And most of them together at, at different points. So it's okay. a very like interesting dynamic where you have Vince Sarmiento, uh, who's the who's currently on the the city council. And is running against um, Jose Solorio, also currently on the city council. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they're going against as well Ceci Iglesias, who was recently recalled from the city council. So that extra like big recall election mm-hmm. that we had uh, a few months ago. And she was actually kicked off the city council by the voters of Santa Ana in that special election. Wow. Um, but now she's running for mayor and she has a shot. She definitely is a viable candidate in, in, this, uh, in this election. And um, they're going also against uh, Claudia Alvarez, who was another former council member who's currently on the Rancho uh, Board of Trustees. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the same way that uh, school districts and cities have their own kind of local government, uh, a lot of the community colleges also have that kind of arrangement where they have their own local government and kind of their, their elected mm-hmm. leaders there. Mm-hmm. So when you're voting for stuff, you're voting for a bunch of stuff, and it's kind of confusing as to what is what. Yeah, yeah, you got you to gotta keep track. Oh, yeah, completely. Even, even where I work, we have a union. And we have a, a national Teamsters, mm-hmm. and then we have each locals. And I'm from nine five two. I've had a couple. Of my past guests have been three nine six locals, mm-hmm. and there's there are different linguals in our contracts that we've talked about. Like, no, they're supposed to do this, and I go back to my local and go, hey, no, you're doing this, mm-hmm. and they go, no, it doesn't work that way. And I go back and I'm like, hey, we have different supplementals in our contract. Yeah, some are different. So I, I had to learn too, and. And that's part of it is getting out there and, and, and learning. And what I learned recently is I'll, I'll throw it out there because we're talking about people getting recalled and, and, and the people taking votes and, and doing stuff like this, which I think is important. Because recently we had a new, a new uh, what is it, a vice president or secretary treasurer, a president. We voted all these people into the local. Mm-hmm. One of the guys who was just on my podcast, he was the ex-president for our local. And he lost by 160 votes. Yeah. And so he came on the show. It looks like he's going to run again. But all the people, okay, the people who won, majority of UPSers don't like them. They, to us, when you start knowing, hearing people talk and the way, you know, they talk about certain people, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, I want to say you're in high school. Yeah, the way that drama, things, yeah. yeah, a little bit of drama. And, and I think it's dumb. I think we we need to vote. Everyone needs to vote and vote for the person that's going to do the right job. Recently, our shop stewards versus the guys, kind of like city councils, they they're in charge of our centers, and we got help. We go to them. Mm-hmm. They were kicked out with no vote. You usually get voted in for a shop steward, or you get voted out. Mm. And 
these guys came, the president came, told him you're no more, no longer a shop steward, took his, his book and, and handed it over to this other guy who I, who's been, who I don't even know who he is. Mm-hmm. I don't even, you know, I don't even know if he knows the contract. I, I've heard different rumors, which I'm not going to talk about on air. I'm not going to waste this platform on that bullshit, mm-hmm. but things are being done wrong. And so we got, we got a petition rolling out and we're, we're going to, we're going to do things the right way. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's us. We're the ones who pay the dues, just like taxes. We deserve the right to vote. This isn't this isn't a uh what what's the word you know when you when you're just gonna do it like a dictatorship yeah no and that's uh, I think something that you see in a lot of different organizations where there's a, a challenge between having like a democratic representation or you know directly voting on issues uh, versus someone just kind of being a strong person and kind of getting their way um, after like some authority is given to them and in this yeah. case I, I don't know authoritarianism yeah the word I was looking for. Yeah. Just came in and they've done it twice already to two different guys. <laughs> and I go, you, you're supposed, we're supposed to vote you in and vote you out. What gives you the right? Because you, because he voted for you, and you're just gonna give him go. Hey, you're the you're the shop steward now. It's what what world do we live in? What makes you think you could get away with something like that? Obviously, it, it's not just here. It, mm-hmm. it happens everywhere else, right? Right. No, and it, but it is like, um, you know, it, it does uh, open up that question as to like why or what, what what's that role and the basic qualifications for that role and whether or not they have the authority to do that. And mm. yeah, I like union politics, it's always so different, like union by union, local mm-hmm. by local. Mm-hmm. Well, for us, you got to you got to be voted by your peers. So with that, though, like with uh, with this person, so it's um, the UPS folks are probably just a subset of the overall vote for that particular local then, right? So, like, it'd be making up a certain percentage of it or... Well, UPS is a percentage of it. They also, I think they do Coca-Cola, Albertsons. Okay, yeah, so, so it's, it's much bigger. Yeah, it's, it's much bigger than just UPS drivers. Mm-hmm. But we do... There's a lot of us. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of UPS. I think he's told me the numbers last time he, he was here, uh, Grant. But the, what's going on is wrong. And going forward... We're, we're, I'm getting more involved. I'm learning more as, as mm-hmm. I go, and, and I appreciate you coming on the show. Talk a little bit about with, with the with the voting mail in ballots with mm-hmm. with the big time. I guess we can oh. talk about big time now. Oh man, it's it, well. The thing that's crazy is that we've been voting by mail since the like American Revolutionary War. You know, mm-hmm. like we've been doing voting by mail in this country for a very long time. Really? Yeah, like it, it's just like it's a long like long time custom, and it was especially true for. Um, members of the military. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if they wanted to be able to vote in their local elections, they'd have their whole, the whole process kind of set up, you know, in the state of California, I think we're going to be in a better position just because we've already in a, in a lot of the larger counties, we've already set up what we needed to have everyone vote by mail. So mm-hmm. we were actually kind of ready for full vote by mail um, in this uh, last uh, primary, right? So the, mm-hmm. the County of Orange actually switched over. Then it was going to basically be doing nothing but like mail in ballots for everybody. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to, you could go into yeah, I seen them. They said you can't go and vote. I saw it on the my my mail in envelope. Mm-hmm. You can actually go. Yeah, you can still. Yeah, and well, I don't know why they made a big deal out of that, saying you can't. So part of it, I I, I don't even is it understand. Just, is it just that's the politics? It, part of it is like trying to scare people to do one thing or not to do another thing. Um, there is a lot of like, okay, and I'm, I'm like definitely partisan on this, right? So I'm like a mm-hmm. you know uh, you know member of the the Democratic Party here locally, and then my you know overall political views skew left. Um, but a lot of misinformation around voting has kind of come out of the various uh, levels of the Republican Party at the you know, state. Mm. Um, not so much at the county. I hadn't actually seen that much like misinformation here. 
uh, but at the national level uh, where, you know, there's a lot of misinformation, especially in battleground states, mm -hmm. that I think is more worrying. Um, you know, less attention probably here because on the national level, we're, we're fairly certain which person's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be. We've always been a democracy. We, well, we haven't always been. So up until 1994, okay. um, okay. it was actually all Republican for like, what, 1960s until the 1990s, uh, at least on the presidential level. So, you know, California was a heavily Republican um, state. And that switched over time. So that has, has changed. Is that switched over? Why do you think that switched over? That's a good question. So there were demographic shifts, but there's also just an overall, um, how does it, California became more urban over time, right? So like in the 19, like 50s and 60s, if you think back then, like, yeah, like if you, go, if you go back to here, like even, right? Like, okay, this building that we're in would have been around like in the 1800s, but then like, you know, three blocks north, it would have been a field, right? Or three blocks south also would have been like some some field. You know, it wasn't. I like those pictures you posted on Instagram. Oh. I was gonna tell you to bring them too. <laughs> well, I need to get a hold of those. That was. Wait, I which, like it. which ones? With all the old school pictures of the buildings of Santa Ana with the old roads and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So the wait the the postcards. The postcards. Yeah, yeah I have a, I have another one that was meant to post today, so I'll I'll post it. I'll I'll tag you on on that one too. Yeah, those are nice. Yeah, so yeah, the old postcard collections, uh, which are really cool, and you know, so yeah, so Santa Ana has a little bit of an urban core, but for the most part, County of Orange was like empty, right? So we had like less than less than three hundred thousand people living in the entire county. Um, you know, in the in the 60s. So like that, California is a different California. Uh, California became much more diverse. So that had, that's also, you know, partly to, to do with it. Mm. And for a while, the Republican Party was actually, at least in California, was fairly welcoming and was kind of battling it out with the Democratic Party for mm. um, getting additional Latino votes, right? So basically making the, that coalition kind of like a little bit more solid. So it would be kind of conservative mm -hmm. Catholics, uh, conservative evangelical um, uh, Latinos with the Republican Party. But they, there was a series of um, steps by Governor Pete Wilson uh, kind of supporting Prop 187, uh, basically not providing any sort of services for anyone who was deemed, you know, undocumented, illegal, or mm -hmm. you know, basically making it um, much harder for people to live here that was seen as a racist attack by a lot of people and kind of drove a lot of the um remaining latino electorate more towards the democrats so that helped really shift california politics over time and you know the other thing that you had going on again going back to urbanization the state of california has really added a lot of jobs on the higher end of the skills skill sector right so we start getting kind of um white college educated and just college educated people from all throughout the, the world mm -hmm. coming into California. Right. So like that, like that education level also tends to skew um, with more left leaning or left friendly or democratic friendly politics. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all those kind of forces combined starts leading into a much more democratic state overall. Well, when Donald Trump talks about he's created so many jobs, is he talking about the, the small jobs? I have no idea what he's talking about. Like I, I don't even look anymore. I'm like, look, this is like, like I'll, I'll read like maybe the staff report that his like a department like sends out. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Let's see what the, what his particular agency is working on. And like, okay, let's see what reality is here. But I, I just, so much of it has been like so much to me at least. And I think there are a lot of reasonable people. It's just been a lot of BS, right? It's a lot of marketing and salesmanship. Yeah. And like, and that's I, the only thing he's good at. Yeah. That's to me. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're a wonderful marketer and you're able to get out there in front of people and hold attention. But yeah. I don't think that he's been a great leader by any stretch of the imagination. And I think he's actually, um, how do I say this? Separated us. Oh, completely separated us. But beyond that, like he, it's, 
he could he could win if he was just not himself, right? Like if he had a lot of his same policies and I just agree, yeah. and just wasn't as much of a like so oblivious about his own narcissism. <laughs> I, I think he could win and like win people over and like be uh, like a better. But people, we're talking what you're talking about the smart ones that are coming over and and what you're talking about it it, it makes total sense. Like the people that are going from look at I, I was I I liked Trump for a while and then as I started digging deeper and, and learning more about the difference and and what we're looking at like I look at at a whole right where are we going where are we going as as let's just say California are we gonna sink down or we're we gonna go up and develop I mean look at Elon Musk for crying out loud he's got rocket ships going up and down like taxis now and he's building those underground tunnels we need more people like that and. You said earlier that we're bringing people over that that are smart innovators that are coming in and they tend to think more on the d- democratic side. Yeah, and it's and it's weird because it it doesn't necessarily have to be that that way. It's just that I think the current version of the Republican Party has been so anti. Um, it's very in a lot of ways it's very xenophobic, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, I, I don't like say that lightly because I, I don't mean to bash the the everyone who is a Republican, but on average, I believe that people do feel left out of this version of 1950s white Christian America. Like that is not necessarily when I, when I look back to say like, well, were my, was my family treated better now at this time or back in the fifties? I'm going to go with probably they have more riots. You know, there's a different like dynamic going on and this kind of sense of wanting to go back to that to me is a little bit Mm -hmm. coded. Like, okay, look, I, I understand the fact that you had gas was cheap. There weren't a lot of people around. So you had a lot of open empty land. Mm -hmm. Uh, but now you're living in a city or in a different area, and you know if you do want to live kind of this rural fantasy, there's a lot of the country that's pretty rural still, right? That mm-hmm. has less people now than it had like in the 1800s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's still possible for people, but they'd still want to kind of you know, stay in place. Um, but I, I do want to say that you know there are a lot of innovators on the right as well, and I think a lot of people that have been doing some interesting work that are more conservative and have that conservative outlook. And that it's not just enough to attack the Republican Party, but also the the Democratic Party as well, and kind of what our failings have been. So I think, you know, part of the reason I wanted to get involved is I I didn't necessarily agree with the leadership of either party, right? I I felt that there was stuff that was completely being ignored. I don't think, uh, quite honestly, we do enough on financial kind of campaign reform. Like, we we still, as Democrats, like, say, like, oh, we're not going to accept any corporate PAC money. Um, but we'll totally accept, you know, billions of dollars from, you know, the right person in the right state if it, you know, if it's okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so there are things like that um, that I believe are more bipartisan. Uh, I believe that innovation is one of those things where we're so caught up in fighting these things where, you know, quite honestly, there are kind of these cultural battles um, around very deep-seated um, forms of identity, right? So, like, when if you are... Uh, someone who is uh, pro-life as a kind of you know, part of your identity more so than and, than anything else, right? It's you know, mm-hmm. for me, it's like almost like a, you know, some single issue vote, votes that go that way. It's hard to then talk about other stuff because then you're, you know, quite honestly, the the attacks that come from that particular debate, it just it's so divisive mm-hmm. that it's hard to to move anywhere from 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 that. But there are other things where we can all agree that well, we need better educated workforce. We need to make it easier for people to go to college or to go into trade schools or to have you know, different careers and different paths into the middle class. And I think part of 
why Donald Trump was so appealing is he basically deconstructed from this very conservative, authoritarian-leaning, xenophobic way the failure of our overall economic system to provide a increasing quality of life for the average person. What we've been really good at in this country is basically siphoning off a bunch of money so that people in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, uh, New York, kind of Connecticut and the financial sector, and then other places of concentrated wealth, mm-hmm. that they can do really, really well uh, in this global system. What we haven't been able to do is then say for the average person working you know, a factory, the average person working um, uh, a retail job, average person just in services, we have not been able to provide that same level of economic security. Um, and you know, Donald Trump is basically a, consequences, a consequence of that. Mm-hmm. He basically said, the system's fucked up. We need to change it. And that's where, you know, when I said like earlier, if Donald Trump wasn't so much like Donald, mm-hmm. you know, that basic messaging, mm-hmm. I think, is enough to, to resonate with a lot of people because a lot of people are still, I think, left out um, of the benefits of our, our current economy, the way it's structured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going back to Silicon Valley, San Francisco, I mean, look at the homeless how bad it is over there yeah. and that does that is that part of the system it, it's is that part, the outcome for it's it's part or of, is like the money going should be going in other places like helping the homeless and helping them i mean it is your choice right that that's what we, we discussed it's your choice right well there's because there's plenty of shelters they can go to but most of them don't want to go because they want to do drugs. They want to be out in the streets. Well, there, there's things I'll push back on, on, on there. Uh, the number one uh, source of like kind of homeless people, if you actually look at our t- like total numbers, mm-hmm. most people are, are homeless for economic um, changes or medical issues. So like that's like mm-hmm. the leading cause of why someone would be on the street. The thing is that people tend not to see that layer of homelessness, right? So like um they're kind of, they're, they're called like essentially like, pa- you know passable right like the, if you see them uh, like at a starbucks there and then like they're sleeping in their car or they're sleeping at a shelter at night like you don't notice it because you don't you don't see, see them as a homeless person right you're like i think the, the definition yeah you i didn't have... talk about last time yeah yeah so we have people that um fall into that category that probably don't have enough um support overall because you know the wait list i think um okay when the city of santa Ana last opened up it's like housing uh voucher program so many people applied in the first hour that it crashed the system right like there was like such an overwhelming demand that they literally can only open the applications up once every four to five years and then like you get so many applications that literally crashes your your system Mm -hmm. so like whereas we have you know maybe 1700 vouchers there's about 30,000 people like looking for them so Mm -hmm. that like there's definitely a lack of resources there um for, for that segment of the population. The other segment, I think that's a little bit harder that we see and we're like, well, it's their choice. Um, part of it, I think has to do with the way that we treat or we interact with people that are addicted, that have mental uh, health issues or that have other um, factors that kind of contribute f- for them being what we what would be categorized as chronically homeless. That particular portion is much harder to deal with. No one wants, like that is the part that no one wants, like in their community, everyone's like, well, okay, let's let's put them in jail. And that was the former solution was, okay, send them to jail. <laughs> and then that cost you, you know, basically cost you what, 80 to $90,000 a year to put that person in jail. So that's like, that was our fo- form of like homelessness, um, you know, kind of housing. But we won't take that extra step to say like, okay, we're not gonna put them in jail anymore. 
let's set aside $20,000 a person to get them into like a particular, like, um, they were called SROs before, single mm-hmm. room occupancy units, right? So just like a room mm-hmm. with like a kitchenette. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll like put them in there and then we'll have healthcare professionals like help with the, either the detox or help with the other things that they're going to need in order to get back on mm-hmm. into, into society. Mm-hmm. So we haven't done that full kind of holistic system. And we've moved back from trying to do anything um, on the other other side that's maybe more punitive and more forceful because of you know pending lawsuits from different um, let's see a different uh, what is it, what is it? civil rights organization so that that is also part of it it's like what can you do that the ACLU will not sue you for and to that you basically do need to just sit down with like whoever the you know, leadership uh, is from from that particular um, agency you know that's going to see your particular mm-hmm. your district. And say like, look, we're trying to solve this in the most humane way possible. But what is it that we can actually do that we're like not going to be, you know, in litigation for the next five years, and then we we can't do anything after that. So there's a lot of uncertainty there, uh, but it's not impossible to tackle. It's just that it requires a lot of different moving parts, and it's really hard to coordinate. Um, and you know, I think the, the the initial question though was like, okay, is this an end result of the current economic system, mm-hmm. or is it you know a person's personal choice? There, there's some interaction there, but it is to me a system that we've set up where you have so many people that need housing. We don't build the housing because that's not allowed. Um, people don't make enough money, so then they end up on the streets. Man, it's just good. It's so complex. Yeah, and then like if you're on the streets, you're more likely to start using because you're trying to escape from the fact that you're on the streets, right? So like being like you know, let's be honest, right? Being high on the streets is better than being on the streets. <laughs> yes. Right. So like, that's yeah, that's you know, it's it's one form of escape. So we don't have in that, and kind of once you're in that system, right? It's like hard enough to get. It's a job. so hard to get out. Yeah. I can only imagine. I mean, I I peed. I was on pills, opioids, and that's one thing. Going going back to helping people get better, helping people change their lives, and, and which you can. I, I've done it. You know, I I was pretty bad, and I know people that were bad, and they've changed their lives. And I just had my boy Terry Diggs on last episode. He talked about. I think he talked about somewhere in Long Beach. There's a street. There's a neighborhood where people just don't have that chance. Like if you if you were born, your dad's usually dead by twenty. And you're usually in the gang by the time you're seven. And it's just it just repeats itself, repeats itself, repeats mm-hmm. itself. What does the Democratic Party think? And this is in general, of course, about holistic uh, healing compared to pharmaceutical drugs. Right. Yeah, no. Um, I, I'd like to think that we're because you'd save drug. a lot more money if you went holistic and went away from these pharmaceutical drugs because they get you hooked on one drug mm-hmm. and then to get you off of another drug they just give you another drug. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely um, our our pill farm type of uh, you know our, our our tendency to medicate rather than to treat. You know, I, I think yeah. it's, it it is definitely part of our overall like healthcare um, our problem with healthcare. Um, I can't. I know speak... now. Sorry, to cut you off. I know yeah. now that back in the days, holistic healing. Like as far as seeing a doctor getting your blood work and saying instead of taking satins and mm-hmm. high blood pressure medications, they tell you, okay, change your diet. What was your diet? Here's your diet now. Take these vitamins, mm-hmm. exercise, and see me in three months. Yeah, a lot more. And now, care. yeah, now you're now you're, the insurance companies now are starting to accept it. Mm-hmm. So you, I can go to a holistic doctor now. It's my choice, which I think is good. 
Yeah, it, but was it, that part of the Obamacare deal? Well, I think they started doing additional coverage there. I'd have to look at the details. I'm yeah. not quite sure because usually, with if it's a change in the insurance company, it's either a legal mandate or they found out that it actually saves them money. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. that's a yeah, very simple simple explanation there. But um, I I can't speak on behalf of the Democratic Party, right? I have like no official like position there, even like within the county up until. But you, know, you roll, you roll with Democratic, so yeah, I do. Like I, you know, I don't. All my friends, yeah. No, except for a couple of them, because I'm union. We vote Democrat. I was raised a Christian conservative. I, I rolled with Republicans. Now, hmm, yeah, you that, know, <laughs> now. And so I, I, you're, you're the first person, urban, urban. Uh, I'm an urban planner, urban planner community you, archivist. Yeah, dude, <laughs> you, you're, you're on, you know Democrat stuff. I want to learn. Because what I see on the news is you guys are Antifa, you guys are BLM, and you're taking down statues. Not that, and then on the other side they say, well, the Republicans they got the Proud Boys and they got the Boogaloo dancers or whatever they're called, and the Boogaloo Boys, the, the too, Boogaloo yeah. Boys, and the militias. And man, I feel like I'm watching WWE sometimes. All right, and it's just like a caricature of mm-hmm. different ones. No, I, I think there are a lot of people that are more moderate um, than either one of those extremes. Like it's the, um, you know, how, what is it? You know, a, th- a thousand people like get bit by dogs every every uh, month or something, right? Mm-hmm. But then the one guy that bites a dog, then that's the news story. <laughs> so you just gotta it gets flipped around. So whatever is like not common becomes the news rather than what's what's common and actually like is more happening. And mm-hmm. you know, I I know a lot of people that are actually in the same position that I'm on on the on the Republican Central Committee, and we'll talk and like we'll like discuss like different politics. Because at the end of it, we you know, there are people that are trying to figure out how to make our city and our community work. Uh, we have different philosophies, I'd say, on what our role, what we believe the role of government is in that. And to me, I, I'd say that there are certain things that we need to all work together on. So going back to the healthcare issue, I, I am a believer in this, you know, the Medicare for all kind of more um, holistic uh, approach. Because to me, it's like trying to get everyone insured so that it doesn't mat- like, like matter what job or position you're in. And so you don't lose your primary care physician and so that we get more people kind of into lower cost um, lifestyle type changes, right? So we're trying to get people to go directly to, all right, let's do diet and exercise. Uh, let's figure out what the leading causes of particular cancers are and remove those carcinogens from the community. So kind of mm-hmm. a community health centered approach that I believe that other Western democracies do a really good job at where you have, you spend way less on healthcare, you get better results. And then it's just a lot less stressful, right? So, like, there's no one in England or no one in France that basically worries that they're going to go bankrupt, they're going to lose their house because they can't make their medical bills, right? That's, like, not even, like, on anyone's radar. Mm-hmm. No, my buddy said last time, he goes, the most important thing is having medical insurance. Yeah. Go ahead and not have medical insurance and go, let's just say you, 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 you come down with something. You come down with something sickness, right? Mm-hmm. Something simple something that you need antibiotics for, but you got to go and you got to spend a thousand bucks for antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Or let's just say you, you come down with COVID, which I would, I don't want that to happen to anybody, but then you get, you get put in the hospital and you got no insurance. Guess who's getting stuck with that bill. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's not just like um, that, but it's like a, the avoidance of a low cost early intervention mm. you're gonna wait until you're basically dying and then it's a sixty thousand dollar issue rather than like the sixty dollar like copay or something right so yeah. like that's that's like the other thing it's like how do you like actually get people um in there and i would even argue it from the kind of business friendly 
conservative approach. It's like, look, this is an additional cost mm -hmm. that the United States places on its businesses mm -hmm. rather than on like society as a whole. So like every business that gets a, a person basically is like, oh shit, now I have to pay for all this person's medical care. Do you believe in universal health care? I do believe in universal health care. Um, That's starting to make a little more sense to me now. Yeah, it's, and it's like, look, um, it's definitely one of those things we have to balance out. We're like, okay, what is the tax level? Like, what is the coverage like? Um, I believe you can still have supplemental care. I don't believe in making all insurance um, illegal or maybe stuff that covers like other other things. I think that you know that's the the big debate is like, okay, what does it actually look like? Um, but yeah, to me, universal healthcare I think is a step in the right direction. I think that it'll make us more productive as a society. Um, because people won't be as worried about it. Uh, I have good insurance. I have really yeah. great insurance. But even my great insurance that I have, I still got to pay $500 for anesthesia. My daughter is going to have surgery on Monday, and my insurance won't cover that. They'll cover everything else, but I got to pay for the anesthesia. Are you kidding me? I got to pay $500? No. You know, mm -hmm. thank God I have the money, but imagine with people who, yeah. who live in paycheck to paycheck. Or wouldn't even be able to get her uh, the surgery in the first place. I know in Canada, yeah. I know in Canada, yeah. Yeah. I know in Canada they have universal insurance, if I'm correct. Yeah. And some people say you break an arm, you go to the hospital, you're waiting there for six months to get it fixed. I don't know if that's true or not. No, yeah, there's um, there's definitely what the the issue always is. It's like, look, um, in, in the United States, if you, if you have the money to pay for it, you can see, like, the specialist in your particular field um, of whatever you need. And you can see them, like, okay, like, whatever that opening is in like in the next week and a half. Yeah. But then, you know, you're going to pay like, you know, the 5000 or $6,000 for like the cons consultation, right? So if you really, really want that, yeah. If you look at like some of the things that, okay, maybe needs to like, needs to be scheduled because then you have to like figure out exactly how everything like works. Mm -hmm. You know, part of the, you know, the six month for a broken arm, definitely not anything I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but part of the other thing is that you also need to do the investments in the actual like doctors and nurses and the staff so what we have here in this country is like you know very kind of split up system where we have a bunch of different medical schools and all of them prestigious and they mm -hmm. become prestigious by not letting new applicants in so you know back in the day let's say you had a thousand qualified candidates you know there's like literally oh yeah a thousand people they can do this work and they're mm -hmm. going to be just as good as like the previous people that we've had but we really want to be like the most selective mm -hmm. medical school in the country. So we're only going to let 200 people in, mm -hmm. even though there's like 800 people that could totally go through the program that are like just as qualified and will be just as good. But now we'll select 200. That way we can be more selective and say that we are more elite. Is that why we're not growing? You think that going the university system? Yeah, that's it's actually uh, there's it a should be free. You think uh, I, I believe that My daughters, uh, like FJC, I was a graduate of FJC, and she's not. They she's free. I mean, she, they they pay for her units. I just got to pay for the books. Yeah. So back I, then, I had to pay for everything. Yeah. No, the JC system. I, I, I which I think is cool. Yeah. No, I, I'm a fan of universal um, public universities, right? Mm -hmm. So like the land grant system, so like the UCs, Cal States, like in the same kind of equivalents in other um, other states, I think is good. I don't necessarily think that we should be paying for private um, colleges. Private or, colleges, okay. Yeah, so, like, you wouldn't make them legal or anything. You'd just say, like, look, if you want to have, like, a degree here, like, bam, there you go. Um, I, I think that the UC system should go back to its goal. Uh, you know, when it was founded, basically said, like, top 10% of all students uh, coming out of California high schools. Like, we're going to, like, this is, like, your opportunity for, for advancement if you'd like. Cal State system serving, like, the vast majority. And then 
the um, JC system basically helping kind of filter people up into either one of those systems or into the, the trade areas mm-hmm. like that. Because you're helping the, the, the people that are at the bottom. Yeah. And obviously, I've lived in the, we live in the city of Fullerton, so she gets it. But it's, it's giving those people that didn't have a chance, right? I'm not saying my, mm-hmm. my daughter always has a chance, but... For other people, like that's mm-hmm. a chance for them to get out and, and just go do something, yeah, right? We yeah. got we, we got to do it. And talking about we've talked about universal school, we've talked about universal health care, which I, I I agree on, on certain levels with you. Most people that are listening to this right now are going to say, "Well, that's a socialist state," we, and everybody knows about socialism and what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. And having universal is basically saying, even though. The guy over here who, who whose dad works hard and, and he's doing his life, and the guy over here who wants to dr- just stay at home and deal drugs and and, and live his life, mm-hmm. they're still gonna just get equal, and his kid is, is is gonna have the same opportunity as this kid over here because of universal education. They could both. Yeah, and I think it's good to have. I don't a, know if I'm making sense. You know, I'm yeah, just. Yeah, well, yeah, but in that example, I think you just kind of made the argument yourself, where you're like, yeah, this kid the, the, that was the son of a drug dealer now has the same opportunity of someone else that had the a person in their life, right? This mm-hmm. kid didn't choose their parent, mm-hmm. and now they're gonna have an, an actual opportunity in life instead of being part of that same cycle. Yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> uh, you made the argument. <laughs> yeah, you answered your own question. Well, people eh? would say that, that Democrats are, are, are socialists, you know. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, yeah. Well, to me, the socialist argument because that would be as that would yeah. be an example, right? Universal health care and universal, mm-hmm. like everybody's just going to get this, and we're going to have different tax brackets, and that's I think how they would explain that. I don't know. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing. So I think the um, yeah, the socialist um, uh, the socialism argument to me is always kind of weird, um, because it's like the number one defend like the number one defended thing in this country that people won't touch is Medicare. Which is a socialized, um, which is already socialized. Yeah, we got universal. socialized stuff already. Yeah, and people love it. They're just like they don't realize that it's socialism, right? But you know, I think at sixty-five you get a social security, social security check, and we haven't kind of kept up. And you know, people say, "Well, like, well, I paid for it." I'm like, "Well, yeah, if you looked at how much your, your contributions were, it doesn't actually make up for what you put in." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on uh, disability. <laughs> see how long you go on disability for. It lasts for a while. Yeah. So you know, all that stuff. I, I would say that no, that I think that there are certain social like safety net provisions that a government or an advanced economy can put together for its citizens, and that that actually makes everyone better off mm-hmm. uh, because you have like a more solid base. So. You know, part of it is also that less pe- people are less innovative when they're scared, when they don't think that they have anything to kind of fall back on. So they're not going to try to take risks. This is an example right here. Yeah. I got a job. I'm working hard. I, I love my job. But me as, as a human being, I feel like I need to give more. Like I had more to give. Me being a, a Sunday school teacher and, and working with the kids at my local elementary school trying to be a teacher – I knew I needed to get back more to be part. You have to be part. If you want the system to work, you got to be part of it. You can't just go to work and fucking watch the the, the millionaire man or whatever the shows <laughs> you're watching, Family Guy, or watching the ball game. You got to get out there. Like today, earlier, we were going to meet up earlier, and he said, hey, man, I'm going to do a, a mural opening or what was it, a yeah. mural reveal. Yeah, so there's a mural you're, reveal. You're involved in the community. I think everybody should have to put time to do stuff like that. And Going back to me, like when I was, I'm working, but I need to give back. And this is me giving back. You get to listen to someone who's an urban developer, who, who's been there, who's, who's hit the pavement, knocked on doors, and ran for city council, and who, who's out there. We, we got to listen to ideas like this and ideas 
that what we see on TV or what we see on stupid YouTube and Twitter, like that's all just entertainment. But if you're going to come with an argument based on shit you've seen on, on Instagram and YouTube, like, dude, have you been in the library lately? <laughs> have you been in the library lately? Like there, there's, I mean, I, everything you're saying is it, it's the opposite. What the, what the, they say the, the left owns uh, the media. That the left owns and, and the Republicans we're the we're the bad ones because we want to be conservative and we want to bring America back. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm confused on the America back. I'm like, no. When I when I see people out there, I'm like, yeah, you're American. You're American too. And like, that's what's great about America is like all these different people and all their different walks of life, accepting that there is a fundamental rule of law and that we use a democratic system to then elect the people that are going to represent us. I, I think that that is fundamentally American. The other aspects of it, I think, are more um dressing right it's mm-hmm. like yeah there are parts of america that really like using uh the star spangled like banner like the old circle mm-hmm. one because that would like they were an old colonial you know town cool um over here i like the whole um you know spanish uh yeah you know, we use a lot of the spanish mission past here i think there's a whole set of problems there you know that's a it's basically a little genocidal system right so like that's a whole another thing with the mission system yeah. it's crazy do you think with What's going on with the statues? They're knocking down statues. They're making it look like it's a Democratic Party doing that. I think what it ends up being is I think there's a reasonable case to be made to remove the statues. And the reaction uh, to the inaction of anyone kind of really looking at it and saying like, hey, well, do we really want to put this person on a pedestal? Well, I heard – I don't know what president it was. Don't hold me accountable. It was either George Washington – or Abraham Lincoln that that owned slaves. And so Washington, was, Jefferson. Um, I don't know if Madison did or the other. Because Adams. the constitution, when that constitution was wrote, it said "We the people." Who were they talking about? They had slaves. Yeah, the the rich white owning uh, class. <laughs> <laughs> like so, we're con- the constitution was a great base start. But it was now, a start. <laughs> but now we're changing and, and developing and going into the next frontier, mm-hmm. and. We're making changes to things that, that I agree with. Yeah, it, it, and that, that's the thing, right? It was an incomplete, to me, it's an incomplete document. And it's a living document. And I think that much in the same way, like maybe for someone who's you know, with a more religious background, it's like, what is the church? The church isn't like the building. It's the actual people. It's the body and you know people coming together in celebration of something or in worship of something, mm-hmm. right? In the same way for me, like my America, right? Like what is the constitution? It's not just like that paper and the buildings and everything, but it's like how we all interact with each other. And Mm -hmm. so to me, it's a much more of a living document. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, different than some folks that say like, no, as it was written, as it shall always be. And and that's a different way to to look at the world, right? You're saying like- If we do that, we'll just be the Amish. Yeah, people are like, they're great. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, the yeah, Amish. Yeah, you hear the news that comes out of there? Oh, oh man, I don't they, know. They, they get crazy. Really? Okay, see, then there you go. Like, nothing's perfect. It's yeah, humanity. Nothing, yeah, nothing's perfect. But we have to be innovative. And I don't know what we're, we're looking for. Some people are trying to, you know, because of technology, we've gone so far. I mean, Elon Musk is a hop skipping away from putting a chip in your brain where you'll be able to. Neuralink, you know, yeah. Yeah, Neuralink. That's pretty innovative. People are saying the, the right says that. That's the the gateway to hell. That's gonna. That's the sick 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 mark. And you know, we still lean on. Some people still look at that 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 Bible and say, "Hey, man, this is real. This is real." And what we're doing is we're heading towards the six six six. I mean, I've I've went down the rabbit hole with so many different levels. But when you just stop, just stop, and look at your kids, and and look at 
where we're at today in the world and where we can be. I mean, shit, have you ever been in Japan? You know how innovative it is over there? The streets are clean. Mm-hmm. One of my cousins travels the world, and I and I always hang. When he comes over, he, he, he'll he take the bus from Mexico and, and walk 20 miles here. And I go, I could have picked you up. It's okay. And we would sit. We would have meals and drink wine, and he would mm-hmm. tell me all his stories about traveling. He's in Japan. There's no trash on the floor. Yeah, yeah, people like clean the up streets themselves. are paid in gold, you know? Well, it's just that people like clean up after themselves, and there's a sense of respect, uh, mm-hmm. like you know, for each other. But um, it also is that they have trash cans, right? Like it's a very simple thing. If they actually put out public trash cans mm-hmm. that get used, <laughs> they, got and, trash cans. they like that's like that's part of it. It's yeah. like look, they they put out trash cans, um, and they have enough workers to then empty those trash cans. Mm-hmm. So that's you know part of it too. <laughs> they say they they say that we're with technology. We're we're since the 1960s or 50s, when Roswell hit, Roswell, that, that uh, aircraft that crashed. I'm going a little bit. Oh, okay, 40s. There, 40, yeah. It's the 1948 and, or 47 yeah, for Roswell, yeah. They said after that, what year did we stop going to the moon? But they said, like, we just came up. We got the best technology in the world. I have a conspiracy theorist coming on uh, <laughs> next week, so I'm already jumping uh, you're, ahead. You're, okay, getting into that. I, I, I'm definitely not a conspiracy yeah. theorist. I, I think that we... Um, there's already enough bad stuff happening in the world that's right in front of us. Like, <laughs> I'm like I don't, I don't need to make anything up. I, I'm yeah, trying I to, stop, I'm trying to stop like various plagues, <laughs> uh, the black plague. I heard almost hit LA. What's like, we're talking about it. COVID. You're yeah. wearing a mask. Yeah, I'm wearing a mask because my mom's in a high risk uh, category. So I've been like limiting contact with people and trying to do as much stuff virtually as I can, because um, I think it's a serious uh, disease and it hits p- different people differently. And we don't do you know- care if it's man made or not. Have you um, even heard anything about that? I, I don't think it's man-made. I so from everything I've seen um, in any of the medical journals and any of the like reports, like even just kind of saying this is how it happened, like I, I don't think that it was. Um, I think that the man-made portion of it is that we handled the response so badly. So that's what I think is like man-made is the fact that we responded so badly to something that we basically understood how we were going to deal with. Well, in China, they're ready. They, I've seen Asian people mm-hmm. around here for years wearing masks. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, you, you're just germaphobe, you know." But the, the I, my buddy who was just on the show, we just did. We didn't even talk about his family member, not family, but his friends and good friends and coworkers. A lot of their he lost like his one guy. He said lost his his dad, his his father in law, and the mom, and yeah. like a big family got wiped out. I go, what? Yeah. And so. People could say, "Oh, it's fake," and not wear a mask. There is something out there, and, and if you if your body's broken down and it, and it's weak, me, I'm a UPS driver. I touch doorknobs, I touch my <laughs> eyeballs. I got I got a weird immune system, but yeah. there there are days where I I don't feel good, and I know my body's constantly fighting stuff. Yeah, and it could be that maybe there were other strains of a different coronavirus that then grant you partial immunity. That means that you you have a better response to it. So there's all kinds of factors that we're just not sure of. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why in the early days it was pretty like terrifying in the sense you didn't know how bad it was going to be. So like it was maybe like okay if this is literally the one percent like death you know death and that means like am I going to be accepting of like three million Americans dying over the next like year and a half right like that was that was that like that but luckily like our treatment's gotten better our testing capacity has gotten better and even the basic usage of face masks the social distancing just kind of like doing more things outdoors. All that stuff has helped kind of lower the mm-hmm. overall like fatality rate, uh, but it's still serious. And until we, you know, get get a full handle on it, you know, like I'm. What do you think they gave Donald Trump? He got it. What do you think it, if he did? I don't know if it's a 
you know, I, I didn't I didn't read up on his yeah, no no I think he definitely got it uh, but I think the um, no the treatment that he got was pretty much they threw everything at Adam that they would throw out a serious case right so it was like I think it was like the steroids the yeah. blood plasma um, there was like other random treatment that he got um, so he got the full like this is you know this took us like eight months to develop right and fix and like oh now you have it. Versus if he would have gotten it, like, right away, like, they would have not known how to treat him. There would have been, like, just trying out different things to see if it would have worked. And maybe his his end result would have been very different. Mm -hmm. And that's why it was so important to, like, try to keep people that are in high-risk categories um, as socially, like, bubbled Mm -hmm. as possible in order to allow us to have better treatment over time, right? Because if everyone got sick right away... Mm -hmm. Even more people would have been dying because you wouldn't even be able to do the basic, you know. Do you do you believe in the vaccines? Um, do you take like the flu vaccine every year? I take the flu vaccine like every other year. So, okay. So I do like when I like remember and it's there. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Um, I will be waiting to see exactly what is first approved because. I do believe that this particular administration will try to rush something through. Mm-hmm. But if it's the same one that let's say the Canadian healthcare like minister is like, Oh yeah, this is like, it's gone through all the trials and we're like, okay with it here. And then we have like a reputable person from the FDA saying like, this is you know, literally what we're doing. And you know, it's very devoid of the politics of it. Mm-hmm. I, I will, I will take it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, all right, cool. Let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just been so politicized. It's weird. Like we shouldn't be arguing about this, and that's why there should be at least. They're saying some it's man-made. They're saying it's it's not real, and it's it's a sham. It's it's. it's I, I think it's, that's absolutely incorrect. Put a mask on your face because it's it's back in the old days. They, that's what they did. If you aligned with the, I mean, dude, I I go. I'm sorry. I yeah, go, you go down the road. I only gotta I gotta come back up again. Yeah, no, to me, like, what I tell people, like, like for conspiracy stuff, right? Especially when they like, okay, like, say, like chemtrails or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, the reason why your kid has asthma and the reason why you can't breathe is because we have, like, a thousand cars sitting outside of your house that are basically blowing out, like, particulate matter that's well, getting into Well, the lungs. government finally admitted that they are spraying stuff, but it's because we've blown the ozone layer out with all the, the gas and all the, the fossil fuels we burned. We, we burned holes in the atmosphere. We we did have a, the the whole the ozone layer, and we basically got rid of all the CFC. So there were all the things kind of in your refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Um, so we replaced those all with different ones. You can still go down to Mexico and like get the the good stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not permitted in the United States. Um, but that has really helped out with the ozone depletion. I've not seen anything for seeding. There, there are some government experiments with seeding rain clouds. Um, China was doing it. Um, I thought the Fi does that. They, they make it rain over there. Well, who does? Dubai or Abu Dubai. Dhabi. Oh, du- oh uh, they might be doing it as well. But yeah, you basically seed clouds with like little like particles so that basically uh, raindrops form around them and you get more rain than you would mm-hmm. um, on average. But I haven't seen that uh, or any stories of ne- like hard evidence of that being deployed in the United States en masse. But it may, you know, maybe there's like you know some stuff going on in like the Midwest where you get more rain and you do that. But as far as like every single airplane that you see kind of traveling around the air it's your asthma is there because the car next to you is spewing out a bunch of like really nasty chemicals mm-hmm. and you're living in southern california which is basically just collecting all these chemicals yeah and, like, we're bring... below sea level whatever low sea... it's just that uh, we have all these mountains that basically like trap all the air and it's hard for it to get cleaned out so like unless you have a major rainstorm and it kind of clears out in all the air and it kind of like goes off on the other side of the mountain ranges mm-hmm. It's just really bad air quality. Mm -hmm. So, like, to me, I'm like, the ongoing conspiracy is that we have a government that gives millions, if not billions of dollars, 
to fossil fuel industries to avoid um, any kind of negative press and to keep allowing this toxic system to continue in place rather than investing and saying like, look, okay, we're going to go all electric. And that's the right side. That like, if we just went all electric, even the California electric mandate. Some people were mad about that. Yeah, no, like, but in, they say governor Newsom, man, he, he, he's gone. They, they, they hate him because of what he's doing and signing this all electric bill. I mean, by 2035, every car needs to be electric or every no, new no, car. no car. Yeah. Every new car needs to. It, a new car except which, for transportation. So you can still have uh, tr- uh, transport trucks. So mm-hmm. that's going to be, that's still been the hardest one to kind of figure out. But if you're talking about supporting people like Elon Musk that are visionaries and like, all right, well, now you basically provide the market for a fully electric transportation mm-hmm. system. Number one, it's like, you know, I, I do tell people this, like, look, if we do this switch, you're basically adding anywhere between two to three years of life on average to every person that you've seen. So like every person that you're walking kind of like, down the road from that you see that's in your life imagine having two to three more years of life for that person mm-hmm. that's what this switch can do so like you have to ask yourself, how much is that worth to you your kids suffering and having asthma and the, it, the heat they talk about global warming is not real i'll tell you i work outside <laughs> and i've been working outside for a very long time yeah 20 years i've been you know ups driver or I worked at UPS. I think I'm like 16 years mm-hmm. driving, but I've worked outside since on the edge. And you can say, "Oh, well, you're older now." No, it has gotten hotter. It was fucking hot today. Mm-hmm. We should be in fall right now. Yeah, and then we're technically in fall, but it's 100 degrees outside. And we live how many miles from the ocean? Really freaking. You know, close. we're turning yeah. into Abu Dhabi. We're turning into Dubai if we don't stop polluting the world. Yeah, and it's like one of these things where it's like, look, we just. You have to turn it around and it's going to be tough, right? It's an entirely different way of running an economy and running a society. And it's not like too much you, carbon dioxide, not enough trees. Yeah. Too, yeah. Too much carbon dioxide and uh, the, yeah, the trees and just absorbing it and just you know, better quality air. Like, you know, in the city like ours here, yeah, Phoenix is pretty nice. I was in Phoenix uh, about a year ago mm-hmm. and the elevation was, was higher, but man, we rolled on the windows. It was fresh air. <laughs> it was so nice. Yeah, they actually get to clear out all the air over there. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I guess you were there when it was a uh, hundred and fifteen or twenty, whatever they're getting up to. Uh, right now? I don't, I don't know what they're up now, but I know like some uh, like horse. No, we went in October. Okay. Matter of fact, a year ago, so it was it was like eighty. Went shooting. It was eighty six degrees. Oh, that's nice then. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. All right. I okay. don't know how much it is today. Yeah, I should look. <laughs> you know, Phoenix summer times are, are not. Yeah, my buddy winter. moved. He moved out of California. Okay. Yeah, my good friend, he moved out of California. He goes, I'm, I'm done. And California's a, uh, it's, it's a wasteland and this and that. And they bond. A lot of people are leaving California. Why is that, you think? Have you heard anything like that? Yeah, so the uh, the, the major patterns um, for demographic changes and the kind of the, the migration patterns seem to, to basically be um, either kind of working class families or kind of early uh, family forming units. So you're talking about someone who like just had a kid or is about to have a kid and they're essentially looking for affordable housing in an area that has a decent school district with a job that they can like have access to. So you have a lot of people that are moving out that either, you know, basically can't afford to live in California. And that's like, that's the big thing, right? It's like, they just can't live and afford to live here anymore. So the, the affordable housing crisis more so than anything else is impacting, I think, the the overall quality of life in the state of California. 
And now, how, what kind of who who would you blame that problem on the the, the market like that? Because all of look us. At, uh, all of us. Yeah, because here's the thing: it's like how many of us like want to build like okay, how many of us are okay with building new apartments around us, right? So we're all kind of like taking up the space, and there's already a lot of us here. Well, we want space. Yeah, and then you're like, well, okay, we're gonna add more people like to your neighborhood. Like, how often have you had someone come up and say like, yeah, I had people to my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, so what ends up happening a lot is you kind of get this like pressure to move people further and further and further out. Those people are still kind of getting and commuting to all the jobs and the offices that are in the central like district. So like in Orange County, you know, people come in from the Inland Empire that live out there, but then they come over here to work and then like, you know, vice versa. So that causes a lot of additional traffic. And then people are like, well, there's already too many people here. Our roads can't handle it. I just spent an hour and a half in traffic. So it makes it really hard to kind of get people to buy into the idea of actually building new housing because then they just see it as a problem. Mm. So that's something that if we were more accepting probably of at least a little bit more um, density in the way of like, hey, like a triplex or a quadplex, you know, basically Mm -hmm. four units where now you only have one, you could do a lot to make housing more affordable, but it's not going to be the single family white picket fence that a lot of people also want. So if you're into that idea, it's much harder to get that now in the state of California than it's to be kind of a competitive state. What number are we in the, in the, what is it? The, as far as economy, the, or I think like, we're behind France or in front of England. What number is that? We're so like, it's like six or seven. Okay. Like just I, I ourselves. It was 12. Yeah. Six or seven, uh, largest economy in the world. Yeah. Like, and that like, I'd want to look that up, but yeah, like it was, it's pretty large. It's like, it's, it's huge. We're up there. Yeah. And you know, so that's the thing. It's like, you know, there are a lot of failings, um, of the, the state overall, but it is, has had a booming economy with a lot of innovative industries, a lot of world-class research. And right now, my... Are we favoring them as far when it comes to taxes? They're saying a lot of places, like Amazon, for example, wasn't mm-hmm. paying taxes, and I don't know what UPS is doing. And... Yeah, um, basically, if we go back to the 1970s, so 1978 was when Prop 13 got passed. That proposition basically cut property taxes by 60%. Mm-hmm over the entire entire um, state. So, you know, if you expected a certain level of government service, and, you know, a lot of people talk about how nice everything was back in the 60s and 70s. Mm. Well, yeah, your property taxes were a lot higher relative, and then that's why it paid for everything to stay nice. And then as soon as you stop paying your property taxes, then there wasn't enough money to afford anything anymore. Mm. So then, like, the level of services go down, right? Yeah, that's the other part of it, right? It's like, what is that balance? It's like, mm. yeah, this was maybe too much. But you really like the services, okay? Now it's too little. Maybe do you want more services? State tax ain't even a lot. I don't. I don't see the big like on my check. Yeah. The state, I'm like, oh. Well, it's for the for mostly for the property taxes, right? So if you have your house and then you're like paying like a certain amount of like the, that. So like for me, it's well. Here's a weird thing, right? So for me, I own a little, have a little condo. Ends up being like three thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. I'm like okay, cool, yeah. Like that pays for the fire. It pays for all this stuff. It makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like okay, cool. Like that's that's what it pays for. Um, but if I like bought that condo back in the eighties, I'd be paying like maybe like $900 of property taxes. Mm. So then it's like, if you've lived here longer, the property taxes favor you. If you, or if you're new, then we charge you more. That's the way you agree with that. I don't. I, I think it's fundamentally unfair, and uh, especially. What if there's someone that's old that already they bought a house with their 24, and mm-hmm. now they're 84 now, and maybe they just want to, you know, like they, they, because their social security might be small, mm-hmm. because you can't go back, get up and go back to work to pay three thousand dollars a year. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so that was the big argument with Prop 13, and there are other ways you can do it. Um, so for me, it makes sense to limit it 
to family homes that are the actual like residents of the person because right now proper chain basically applies to everything so if that old person also had like three resorts or three like you know three rental properties and then also had like a vacation home they're still getting that tax break on their three rental properties and the vacation home yeah. right so like yeah, that's yeah. the other that's the other side of it too it's mm -hmm. like no like it's fairly lenient for, for everybody um but to answer your question specifically on that even if there wasn't prop 13 what we could do um, as a state and as a policy is you would basically defer property taxes with the you know, ability to be waived. Like if that person like made like under a certain amount or like whatever it was like, so you could cap that so that maybe the, the payments weren't going to be due immediately, but then at the point of sale. So then if the family ends up selling the house and they end up having to pay like the back taxes off of that, because that's still like equity and there's still like only a percentage that will be going mm. for property taxes and it doesn't kick the person out of their house it still kind of evens out a little bit on the um, the way that the property tax is distributed between people that have been here for a while and newer people. Um, because again, what you're looking at is the people that have benefited the most are the people that own the most amount of land. So if you look at that, that's where you get your, your Arcos, a lot of the old, like, um, let's see, what are they called? 7-Elevens? Some 7-Elevens, but I'm thinking more of the... Oh my god! All the gas and oil fields that basically are owned. One of my buddies on the show, he owns a uh, oil. He owns one of those ones. Oh, he owns a, he owns one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, they he was getting some good money. It was going around every mile. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, but he probably like again like if that thing's been in the family since the fifties, yeah. like that that thing doesn't get taxed really. So that's the <laughs> that's the other thing. You're like, okay, cool. Like so, yeah. You know, so our tax system does end up favoring people that have had a lot of land for a long time, mm -hmm. and then it also a lot of the streets are named after the wealthy. Yeah. Well, but then the part of it also is like if that happens, you have less of a reason to try to build anything new. So if we went back to the housing problem, if you have like I see fields out here that are still vacant. Yeah, because no one's no Big one's fields. no one's paying any property taxes on it because they bought it so long ago when it wasn't worth that much, and then now they only pay like a thousand dollars, like or whatever, and, and then sit on it. Yeah, because then you know someone down the line is going to give you more and more if you just sit on it. So you have an incentive to just wait and not do anything. Yeah. Just keep handing it down, huh? Keep handing it down, and then you just kind of wait for the top of the market. You're like, and yeah, okay, now catch up. Go boom. Yep. So that's the other part of the – there's a, a bad incentive that gets created by making it and kind of you know, putting it into place. That's why if we – actually, I think the first question you had oh, go for it. was Prop 15 or like the propositions, right? Yeah, so yeah. this is where it's like, yeah, Prop 15 I'm a fan of because of that that reason. Because I, I see it personally in a lot of buildings in Santa Ana. Mm -hmm that have been known for a really long time that no one invests in and they just kind of keep closed. Right. So I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of like saying like, okay, well this property has value. We're going to tax it at that value. Um, and then hopefully it'll actually have some kind of economic So they're, they're taxing the value of what it is today or what it was when they bought it. What it is when they bought it. Yeah. Um, but this new law with prop 15, if it passes, it would be what it's worth now. And what probably we need to develop. Yeah. Right. We got to We got to move forward. You can't just sit on it. What do you sit on it for? The, We're not going to go back to when it's just fucking fields of fruit. That's what some people were like. Nope. <laughs> we're, we're we're going forward. We're 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 a spaceship in space. Yeah, we we're are traveling through space. And you want to sit on a piece of field? Use it for a research facility. Build it for the homeless and get some. You might have the next Einstein in one of these homeless guys. Yeah. You guys just got somehow they got lost in the system. We got to get them back. I'm a man of, of second chances, and these people have a chance of, to make a difference. 
Money could come, money's gonna go, man. You're gonna, you can't take it with you where we're going. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is true. That's always. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about COVID. We're gonna go back to it real quick. Yeah, One other man. question before we leave, dude, because we're, we're we're cruising here. Education, COVID. Mm. You've heard about the system. I got kids. I got my kids at home now doing online learning. Now starting. I think tomorrow they're gonna start doing a little type of hybrid. Mm-hmm. Going back when the COVID started, my my kids graduated high school. My kids graduated uh, junior high recently, and the, the, that last half of it, they didn't have no graduation. Didn't have everything was taken from them. everything had to be online learning. They all graduated, and now they're doing online learning. It's a new world, right? Mm-hmm. It's new. We're, we're we're learning. The teachers are learning. I've been at home lately. My wife's at home. She's watching them. And, and making sure they continue to get their education and continue mm-hmm. to learn because we don't know how this is going to affect our younger generation. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. It's, it's a lost year in, in a lot of different ways. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Like, I, I feel that it's, um, it, it is going to be hard on this particular cohort of people that are in educated in, in the educational mm-hmm. system, especially the younger they are. Cause then like that is so crucial to their development. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, that's going to be hard for a lot of the kids. I, don't know the ins and outs of the education system, system as well. Yeah. But I, I will say that, you know, in, in Santa Ana, unfortunately, the, you know, the, the reason I think we've been kind of a, you know, lagging here is really for, has a lot of merit in the sense that we're one of the hotspots. We are. Because yeah, a lot of people don't have Wi-Fi. A lot well, of people don't have connections yeah. and the, the, the moms or the dads, they don't speak English. Right. And... But, but I'm mean, sorry. I like a hotspot in the sense of the, the COVID oh. outbreak. <laughs> yeah. Like another kind of hotspot. Yeah. That, <laughs> But no, you're right. Like that—that's the other thing. And so, like, so we have the situation where um, we have about what ten percent of the county's population, but around forty percent of the cases, right? So, like, a, really? Yeah. Like, I there's know a, that. there's like a, a big disproportionate amount, right? So basically, Anaheim and us, like, we are like where COVID is, um, and we I think passed like two hundred fifty deaths, right? So like two hundred people, two hundred fifty people from Santa Ana have died of this so far. Um, so we are the area area where like if we're gonna have to like kind of hold off and like kind of like slow things because we still have an active outbreak yeah, yeah. this is kind of where, where that's going to be happening um with that said there's also the overall demographic makeup of teachers tends to be older right so we have a lot of older teachers and you're basically telling these people that are in this highly yeah, yeah, high-risk category that was another part <laughs> yeah like high-risk category to go march to their death so that people can have daycare mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um mm-hmm. and that is i, I think i'm con- you just can't it do it it goes both ways yeah yeah i was a little aggressive on that you got they don't speak english but no there there's <laughs> it's the other side too yeah and it's uh, it's crazy but um i, I do want to say that i think this has taught me like because i i um i don't have kids right so I, mm-hmm. I think i never was as um aware of the social role that schools play in allowing other parts of the economy to also work because you know another reason why we've kind of slowed down on the economy is that people don't have daycare they don't know they no longer have a place that they can take their kids no, i to. know someone who lost their job because of that yeah same and, and and that's not right. It shouldn't happen. Yeah, right? it shouldn't happen. So that's where, where, for me, that also like now makes more sense to really be aggressive on the universal um, access to pre-K, universal access to daycare, like because it basically it it helps people get yeah. get a job, right? Because then now I can work, now I can provide, and like honestly, if you um, get those kids early on, 
they come from trouble, troubled backgrounds and you kind of give them like a different way to look at the world. I think that's a win-win for society. But again, that's, you know, socialism, but it is like, we're all in this together. Like I'm yeah. okay. I'm okay with doing that for, you know, if Only you want to. the strongest will survive. Yeah. Strongest of the fittest. <laughs> you know, sometimes. I, I think like that sometimes though. Oh uh, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> but when you come in and you, you talk, I'm like, man, you're a compassionate man. And I am too. I, I got compassion for everybody that. Well, but it's self-serving in a certain way though because here's the thing it's like okay the Dar- darwinian like evolution mm-hmm. it's not just survival of the fittest that was actually spencer that came along later so out like he, like i want to oh. say it was albert spencer um so he's the one that was more about survival of the fittest um darwin was really much more about survival of the most adapted or adaptable to a new situation so if you have oh. a lot of different people different people are going to adapt in different ways so it's actually the diversity of it because you never know what is the winning strategy so you want to have a bunch of different strategies so with kids, you never know quite which one is going to be the one to like make that like, you know, new invention. You never know who's going to be that yeah. next leader. So you want to broaden out that base. And that actually makes your own society more competitive and stronger compared to others. Right. So if I want the United States yeah. to be number one, I don't know who the hell is going to get me the best shot. So I'm going to make sure everyone's got a shot. I like that, man. I like that. That was beautiful. Well, in closing, man, tell the people how they can get a hold of you. Talk about your podcast. You know, give give a closing. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, I uh, online as Full Metal Archivist. Uh, so, Manny Escamilla, Full Metal Archivist. I mostly do um, urban planning, community archives, and public policy advocacy. Advocacy. The uh, podcast is now Puro Policy Party. Um, it's just like you know, because policy party was taken. Puro Party was taken. Like, every single combination except Puro Policy Party was was not taken. So um, I have that on my Instagram account. And we basically interview uh, local elected officials, um, people that have worked in city government or local government. Uh, my old professors uh, will come on from time to time. And we'll just kind of talk about different uh, nerd topics around city government, which is really fun for me. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, the easiest way to probably get a hold of me. I'm on there constantly. So... Yeah, that's always reach out. And, you know, I just want to appreciate uh, the time that you spent uh, with me this Sunday. And, yeah, thanks for having me on. Wait, it's Monday. Never mind. It's, it's a Monday. Look, at man, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I did. He's a very smart man, very educational. Always keep an open mind. I love my people. I don't care if you're left, right, down the middle. It doesn't matter, man. This podcast, we're going to bring everybody in. We're going to get through this together, man. Like I said earlier on this podcast, we are a spaceship and we're traveling through space. Let's get it. Say what's up to all your friends, families. Tell them you love them. Open the door for someone. Smile and let you know that we're going to get through this together. This is Stephen G. Gaxiola. I'm out. Peace.